0: welcome to a very special series of Arrow A whole series. A whole series dedicated to security. And you better believe it. As always, you've got myself, David firm and myself, Richard Holmes, and our producer, as always, for this series is going to be Hannah Jenny. Hannah Jenny. Wow. And guys, so basically the idea behind this is we went to Infosate this year. In fact, we are still here right now. Yeah, these aren't special effects in the background. No, we don't have that much money. Um, so essentially what we've tried to do is go around, find the most interesting, innovative and sort of exciting vendors that we have on our portfolio and basically bring them on and interview them. But do quite long interviews, sort of... 15 to, to 25 minutes, and mm-hmm. essentially give you a real idea of where the top vendors think the current trends are, technology directions, and generally, sort of what some of the top things are there focusing on and concerned about in 2017 and beyond. Yeah, so if you want a Security 101 for 2017, look no further and than this series. I'd like a Security 202. <laughs> oh, yeah, go on then. Why not? Why not? So, look, guys, sit back, enjoy. This is gonna be the next couple of months of your bandwidth listening. So yeah, we hope you enjoy it. Get ready for the bombshells. Yeah. We are really honored now to be joined yeah. by Emma from Kaspersky. Good Emma, going. would you like to introduce yourself? Yes.
1: I'm Emma Mohan I'm a fraud prevention consultant with Kaspersky Lab. So I'm working on our growing fraud prevention product line in the European market mainly.
0: Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So, right, I'm going to start really, really stupid. And I'm going to I, I, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> So, Sorry. I mean, I think my preconception of, of Kaspersky is it being a freemium sort of antivirus product. I've never really... I mean, I've, I've certainly... I've, I've seen Eugene present a few times at various different things, and he's probably one of the most charismatic presenters in the IT industry, bar Absolutely. none. Mm. Um, but what I, I mean, what I find fantastic is that you know i know you use a freemium antivirus product but we're coming to talk about fraud prevention today which is very much a, a central enterprise
1: B2B, sort of problem yes.
0: b2b problem mm. so i mean Talk about, I mean, talk about that part of the business, because that's a part of the business we don't really hear a huge amount about.
1: Sure. So Kaspersky Lab, the part you probably know is that we're the largest privately owned cybersecurity company in the yep. world, and we've been around for the last 20 years, mm. and we've got that background in protecting consumers and businesses for the last 20 years, but I guess the fraud prevention side of things, as you say, isn't what we're particularly well known for. I guess from our point of view, when we look at the last 20 years, the main Focus for businesses hasn't changed, right? Mm. Businesses want to make money. Businesses are focused on delivering innovative and good products for their consumers, yeah. staying ahead of the competition and all of that. But what we've noticed is that the threat landscape has changed dramatically. Yes. So, cybersecurity now has become less about protecting that PC at home with an antivirus product, mm-hmm. and it's about protecting the whole customer journey. Yeah. So whether it's banks, whether it's your online shopping, whether it's loyalty schemes, they've all got online accounts and you're usually accessing them in a variety of ways. So you're going on your mobile, you're going on your laptop, you're going on your tablet, whatever it is. And so the, the fraud prevention mission has now become about making sure that the user and the account is protected rather than focusing on that sort of traditional antivirus protecting one device in the home
2: i was i was doing a little bit of swatting up before before <laughs> you came on because um i think as, as we were saying just before we started recording dave and i are no experts when it comes to Kisper, so. and it's interesting that you say that how you know, businesses haven't changed but but the whole threat and the threat, threat landscape mm-hmm. and, and kind of what the bad guys are up to has mm-hmm. changed significantly and yeah, I noticed when you, when you talk about sort of that banking environment and you start and, you Kaspersky know, start talking about sort of this whole thing called the fraudster economy. Yeah. I, I could not believe when I saw that, yeah, one bank account, yeah, it's it sold on not so much the open market but the black market mm. for, yeah, over, over 600 pounds. Yeah, you can get a credit card... Details, you know, I suppose if you know where to go to, Mm -hmm. you can sell that for between 17 and 40 pence. Mm -hmm. And it's like there's a whole economy around trying to get through what you guys setting out, I'm imagining, with the fraud prevention story that Absolutely.
1: So we're sort of seeing it as like fraud as a service. So yeah. fraudsters are now part of this huge ecosystem and they'll be, you know, the, the the sort of CEO managing the whole operation. They'll mm. be the people either developing the malware or developing the techniques to steal the details. They'll be the people executing. And obviously the ultimate goal for them is the cash out point, right? Yeah. So the point where they can sell on those details and then use them to, to cash out or to steal the, the actual money from someone's account of course is the focus but I think when we come to food prevention we have to be careful not to only focus there because yes. there are plenty of stages in that process where we can detect that actually something suspicious is going on. You know, there are, there are plenty of stages of preparation before those details mm. are actually stolen or before that account transaction is actually made to steal your money. So I think when we're speaking to, to banks in particular, we're, we're talking around that process of making sure that it's continuous detection. Yeah. And so what Kaspersky are doing using their cybersecurity background, we're able to take that intelligence that multi-layered technology and make sure that we're looking at the whole journey continuous anomaly detection and mm. then we can sort of see okay there's something going on here before <laughs> the actual money goes missing and so for, for a business of course that means you're protecting your customer and it also means reputationally the customer's yeah. not feeling the impact of that yeah. fraud and not feeling that they're now insecure with this account
2: and I suppose that's one of the big benefits of this 20-year history that you've got. There's a massive corpus of data...
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. ..that so
2: you can call on specifically in areas like, mm. yeah, fraud prevention yeah. So, and, and
1: detection. It, you're sort of... You, Maybe less familiar with the fraud prevention space, but in the fraud prevention space, there's a lot of talk of you know what's the silver bullet technology? What's that one technology that's going to really, you know, make the difference in fraud Mm. terms? And so a lot of uh, the banks now we see are investing in biometrics, and so there's the iris scans or the voice recognition.
2: Oh yeah, we 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 saw another uh, example of that being hacked, didn't we? Just recently, right? Exactly, and I think Samsung. So it's yeah.
1: Yeah, that reminds us that actually that technology on its own, although it's great technology and mm-hmm. it'll be very interesting to see where we can go with that technology as it evolves, on its own it's not going to be enough to give us a a global picture of what's going on in fraud terms and to give us a true fraud prevention picture so it's about layering that up so we look at biometrics but we also look at device and environment we also look at the user behaviour what their navigation journey looks like and layering that up and taking that we have that 20 years of history of what looks like a good account versus a suspicious account and, and combining that collective intelligence that we have across our global network, that's where we really have the strength in our technology that we're not relying on one core technology mm-hmm. and we're not relying on a very small subset of data. We've got masses and masses of data over the last t- 20 years and yeah. we've got this multi-layer technology.
0: Oh, right. right. I mean, this is, I find this incredibly impressive because uh, this is something that I honestly did not know about Kaspersky, but I suppose it makes sense because you guys have been involved in quite a lot of the detection of some of the biggest sort of malware and, and viruses in the world, which is mm-hmm. which is incredible. Um, but I mean, how are you actually? So I mean, if we're talking about you know our sort of the, the audience we try and uh, we try and get out to. How can the channel take advantage of these technologies and, and how are they, you know, what are the current sort of um, customer journeys, customer stories that you've got around people actually taking it, deploying it, and, and actually getting some value out of it?
1: So I think no matter what business you're speaking to now, they're all looking at how they go through the digital transformation. And it's, mm. it's not just a case of creating online accounts now. Yep. It's a whole digital transformation about how they offer their goods and services, And so while that's great for the customer, that offers a lot more channels and opportunities for a fraudster to get in. And so I think when we're speaking to to businesses, it's a case of, of looking at what that digital transformation looks like for them, and maybe where some of their limitations are today, because actually a lot of businesses that we speak to are potentially limiting how much they make available to clients online. So I might be able to log in and check a balance, but I might not necessarily be able to make full transfers and withdrawals, because as a business I'm not prepared to give that opportunity to my customer because I'm worried about how I protect it. And so it's looking at that kind of whole picture with the business and working out, okay, where are the opportunities to transform their business? And then where can we come in and secure that? And so coming back to what you're saying around the, the sort of, we, you know, we, we are very much leaders in detecting new strains of malware. A lot of that is human intelligence that goes behind that. So yeah, right. we don't believe in just, you know, selling technology. Actually, yeah. what we're selling is also the human intelligence that powers that technology technology. Technology on its own is great, yeah. but if we don't have the, the massive team of research and developers that we have, we wouldn't be able to push those technologies forward. We yeah, wouldn't be able ahead. to keep an eye on what's happening on the dark web. So you're talking about, you know, the the details getting stolen yeah. on, on dark web forums. <laughs> yeah. We're keeping eye on, on that kind of thing beyond that, that fraudsters are also selling tools amongst each other, so as as a fraudster, I might develop a hacking tool and then I realise I can use it to hack, but I could also make some more money if I sell it to you. I can monetize it, yeah. You don't even have to know particularly a lot about fraud and hacking, you can just buy it off me and and, and off you go and, and you can, you know, create your own profitable business, and so fraudsters are very good at communicating, sharing we see, you know, something will pop up in one country and within days we'll see it somewhere else or within Hours at times, and so we need to get better at helping businesses also take advantage of a collective intelligence. And I think that's what really you're buying into with the Kaspersky Forward Prevention Journey. It's it's creating that intelligence sharing mm-hmm. and that human element, as well as having the technology that's going to protect the customer. So
0: your solution actually is very targeted towards line of business, as well as the sort of security, um, sort of the, the security guys in the business. You yeah. know, it's so very much a helping the line of business to understand and prevent themselves Mm -hmm. against, because what I love was, you talk about fraud prevention, how I would never think of fraud prevention, you know, around monitoring the dark web and looking for, you know, exchange of tools and looking for, Mm -hmm. you know, I get it, the credit card fraud piece, I think is what most of us think of, Mm -hmm. but we don't really think of everything that goes into Mm -hmm. what essentially drives that outcome and what drives that that answer. Mm-hmm. It's and effectively some... an arms race, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly.
1: Absolutely. And to some extent, actually, your personal data can be more valuable than your credit card, because if I've got your personal data, I can set up a fake account,
0: yeah.
3: and with yes. that fake
1: account, I can get access to even more credit than what you might have on your credit card. So uh, it, to some extent, it's, it's also looking at the wider business, and yeah. like you say, not just looking at the credit card fraud prevention, not just looking at protecting the account's every business knows they're going to have some level of fraud if they're doing any sort of business that involves any sort of transaction. But you don't want to block your good customers and limit your business growth by focusing too much on the fraud journey. So, number one, handing that off to some experts allows you to focus on your core business while we're worrying about monitoring the dark web and we're worrying Mm -hmm. about keeping our technologies up to date. At the same time, if you take something like risk-based authentication, which is built into our fraud prevention product, it means I can let a good customer that I know is a good customer straight through. I don't have to disrupt that journey. Oh, yeah. When I have a, bad, a potentially bad customer or a suspicious person trying to access an account... You can make
0: them jump through more hoops. I can
1: make them jump clever. through more hoops. Oh, and I, like I can tailor that, that right? I like so, that. That's
0: very that clever. pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So, so, Oh, sorry,
1: no, no. No, so I think that's, ju- that's a huge part that, that also oh, gets yes. forgotten in the fraud yeah. prevention journey. A lot of us talk about stopping the fraudsters mm. and actually 99% of the people using any business should be good customers. The fraudsters should be less really than 1%. And so we also need to make sure that 99% isn't getting hindered in their journey yeah. Yeah. in yeah. that attempt to find the less than 1%. Mm.
0: And what I love is what you're doing is essentially making it as friction-free as possible for people to Absolutely. implement... Um, fraud prevention solutions and I'm guessing try and drive down the false positives as much as humanly possible um, exactly. but obviously when you do have a suspect you make them jump through what feels like relatively um, sort of normal hoops
1: mm-hmm. exactly
0: surreptitiously so I mean I, I, I have one last question and it's
2: it comes back to that that line of business and what, and what you're saying about this you know what's obviously a very different take and you on on fraud prevention, from your perspective, but are you are you seeing in this area? Are you seeing a change in the type of partners that you're working with, the type of businesses that are, yeah, consuming your product, reselling your product as part of a solution? Because I should imagine that, you know, once you start getting into retail, e-commerce, mm-hmm. that actually the, these are businesses that can really make use mm-hmm. of. Your products and mm-hmm. services—it—it's—and it's not just the purvey of security shops and consultants, mm-hmm. consultants anymore. It's—it's it's part of you know perhaps taking that Kaspersky offering and embedding it into mm-hmm. you know whether it be that that transformed end client's business of being that shop and that transaction model. Are you you starting to see that? Yeah, so I think
1: what was at one time a very sort of niche area of cyber security, Mm. now that needs to be running through the whole business model. And I think businesses are realising that more and more. And so absolutely that's led to sort of a more, uh, perhaps wider interest in in fraud prevention in general and then a a wider interest from either resellers or businesses in different areas where they're looking at how they can help transform businesses rather than just how they can block fraud yeah. or how they can secure uh, the online side of the business. So absolutely, there's definitely been a shift in mindset on that. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think, yeah, that's it's becoming part of that kind of wider, like I say, digital transformation journey yeah. rather than a very niche, okay, the cybersecurity team are going to worry about this yeah. or the information security team are going to worry about this, actually – much wider areas of customer experience and yes. so on in the business are now going to be thinking about this. Fantastic.
0: That's brilliant. Well, look, Emma, thank you ever so much for coming online. Thank it's you. It's been for having a really eye opening conversation. And obviously, anyone listening to this, if you are looking at fraud prevention solutions, please do come talk to us. You know, Kaspersky to be an incredibly uh, important event to us. I think it'd be a really interesting and different conversation to go and have with your customers. So, look, thank you very much for your time. Thank, thank you very much. Appreciate This thank is a uh, pretty crazy uh, infosec. So, yeah, <laughs> thank you. And, yeah, we'll speak to you soon. Yeah, thank brilliant. you very much. Cheers, Thanks guys. Well. Bye. Okay, welcome back. And uh, now we are lucky enough to have Lee from Kaspersky. Lee, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah.
4: Uh, hi, guys. Yeah, um, my name is Lee Rendell. I'm from Kaspersky Lab. I'm a pre-sales engineer. Um, I've been at Kaspersky for about nine years. Oh. Um, started in tech support on the consumer side, moved into the business side, and now I'm in the pre-sales team, assisting our sales guys, obviously, and making sales, scoping out the calls, scoping out the network, making sure it fits our environment, um, installing, configuring, working with okay. The customer.
0: Okay. So, um, we had Emma um, from your fraud prevention team here mm-hmm. earlier on. Yep. And she was discussing Kaspersky fraud prevention. I think the first thing I said to her, and I'll say it to you as well just to get your opinion on it, is um, I think a lot of our listeners will probably think of Kaspersky and think of sort of the freemium type antivirus products. But mm-hmm. it's fascinating that you are so much more. So could you just give us a, an idea of, you know, you've obviously got that part of the business, but, yep. you know, I'm guessing that is a... Uh, very very small subsection of what Kaspersky really is
4: Kaspersky lab do 49 products and (coughs) services okay so that's not only endpoint for windows laptop servers mac linux mobile devices Mm -hmm. there's ddos prevention there's security for virtualization whether it's light agent or agentless there's industrial cyber security um for scada networks there's um our own OS, Kaspersky OS, coming soon for connected devices, yep. autonomous Ooh. driving, stuff like that. Wow, that's cool. Um, yeah, that's huge. All of our all the mail, size of mails, covered yeah. cloud-based. Uh, okay. You've got you've
2: got my respect because I, I've just I've been having a bit of a bit of a gem up because I'm no Kaspersky expert, expert mm. and I know it's one of the one of the case studies Ferrari. So I tell you what, if, it, if it's good enough for uh, for Ferrari, it's good enough. Yeah, for well, me.
4: Ferrari now use. A lot of our products mm, yeah. um, in there. So we work... It's more of a partnership rather than a sponsorship nowadays. So it started off more as a, uh, a sponsorship. We yeah. sponsored their their um, Formula One cars and their touring cars. But that's migrated into more of a partnership where we share technology. We work quite closely with them in terms of their... Um, the, the computer devices they put in their road cars as well as their um, racing cars. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good partnership. Yeah.
0: Cool. So what are some of the um, conversations you're currently having? What are some of the technical sort of... Um, Trends and the uh, perspectives that people are coming to you at the moment. Because obviously, we're in a, a very um, uncertain world from a security perspective. Yeah. It's a real, you know, I think we always use this term an arms race. Mm. Um, you know, uh, trying to always stay one step behind the attack, you know, yeah. the, the, the attackers. It's yeah. always
4: a game of cat and mouse. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I guess there's, there's probably three main conversations that we have nowadays. Um, first one is ransomware. Yeah. It's a clear obstacle for everyone. It's um, Everyone knows about it. You know, It's kind of bucked the trend for for malware, mm-hmm. um, where it used to be secretive and want to exfiltrate data silently and make s- subtle changes. Now it's right there in your face. It tells yeah. you how it's done it. It tells you what it's done. It tells you what you need to do to get rid of it. Um, and, yeah, in terms of this cat and mouse, you, you'd have to say that they're slightly ahead of the curve now um, not necessarily down to the solutions that you have put in place like Kaspersky and other anti-malware solutions, but in terms of um, users' knowledge um, and their environments, the configuration of their environments, allow ransomware onto the system a lot more than they, sh- they really should do. Yeah. Um, so ransomware is a key point, especially obviously recently with the WannaCry mm. outbreak. Yeah. Um, you know, so that used a completely new delivery method that we haven't seen before. Um, there's lots of ransomware that, that perform more bespoke stuff than just encryption. Some act as kind of spyware utility. Some try to encrypt the hard disk, and if they can't, then they just download other ransomware and encrypt normally or the file system. Um, so we've seen kind of ransomware behave peculiar in, peculiar in the past, but never really in its delivery. Um, so that's why it was so successful. Probably yeah. almost too successful, really, well, for now. Yeah.
0: I mean, interestingly, this was one of the first... Um, malwares
4: or oh sorry worms cause It's a worm right it's a worming ransomware so it had it was, it was a ransomware essentially but it had worming capabilities yeah. so it was able to exploit through a network connection through the internal blue vulnerability when then once on the network was able then to replicate itself across yeah. the yeah. network by into network, network so i mean
0: yeah. but it's one of the first ones we've seen that was actually has been proven to have been developed at its core by the nsa Mm-hmm. So I mean, um, yeah. where Cash-roll. I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe we'll bail out Move there. On. But I mean, it's for me, it's a really interesting sort of point that we're mm-hmm. in this place now with properly weaponised, mm-hmm. you know, stockpiles of weaponised malware. Um, you know, I suppose my question would be: before we get on some of the more mundane channel bits, with all due respect to the channel, um, how on earth, when we've got nation states developing these pieces of technology mm-hmm. that you know, Stuxnet a few years ago, mm-hmm. yeah, how, do, how are Kaspersky sort of helping normal end users to protect themselves against... As you said, you know, you've never seen this way before. This was an exploit that was essentially stockpiled and, and, and developed and, and sort of maintained by nation-state, effectively... You know, how do you essentially protect against that? Or is there any way to protect against that? What's well, Kaspersky's angle?
4: Yeah, well, there is, obviously. Um, Kaspersky, as a company, I mean, we work very much on the front line with Interpol, Europol. So we, we do all Interpol's training, security Wow, training. that's cool. We wow. work with the Dutch National High-Tech Crime Unit, Metropolitan Police. So we work on the front line yeah. with these guys trying to hunt down. Yeah. Um, and it's led to the No More Ransom site, um, which is... Founded by Kaspersky and, and Interpol and Dutch, Dutch National Anti-Crime Unit, it's now other, other companies like ESET, um, Intel Security, McAfee, um, and other law enforcement have combined now to have this like central repository for all of the knowledge that we can share with oh users. Wow. Um, and based on that, our, our HQ, re- reckon we can decrypt through No More ransom in about 30% of cases, which is actually pretty high when you think about what encryption is. Mm. You know, you've yeah, probably yeah, yeah. got more chance. There's more particles in the universe than the chance of. Uh, actually hitting every single combination with the world's most powerful computer. So um, 30% of the cases is, is quite high. But in terms of our products, the key area really is patching and control. Yeah. So we have prevention. Obviously, we have behavioral analysis, like our system watcher. We have file antivirus, but file signatures, for example, although in terms of all malware, it equates around about 75 to 80% of our detections. For ransomware is as low as 35 to 40%, and that's just the nature of ransomware on the dark web. The ransomware mm. as a service. Um, people um, get taken script-based ransomware and may just modify it very slightly to bypass signatures. Yeah. and We, like most um, traditional anti-malware vendors now, don't use signatures, as, signatures no. as a primary detection method for a number of years. We just use it to alleviate the load on the behavioral analysis, obviously, so we can de- block at source mm. 80% of the time. Um, but control is the key, really. You, imp- use this,
2: you use this term hygiene, don't you? And I think mm-hmm. that is, is, is that kind of where you get into there when you talk about patches, when you talk <coughs> about, I suppose it's it's just modifying your approach yeah. as a business to, um, to how you best utilize.
4: Yeah. Obviously, we've got sensor-based products like our Kaspersky anti-target attack platform, yeah. which is a very high, highly pr- high premium solution, which is... Analyzing every single communication, every single file access on the network, and sandboxing it in real time, um, and that's going to detect obviously eight real APTs, yeah. but and, and obviously on all, all other malware. But that's a real high-end solution. So, on on our, on our endpoint solution, as part of our base license, we have all the control features: so application startup control, application privilege control, device control, web control. They're are your keys really. If you can prevention is a lot easier than cure. Yeah. In mm-hmm. any in any regard so um, but it takes a bit more work at the start Mm. so a lot of administrators of their networks they're put off by control because they don't want to have to potentially limit what their users can and can't do yeah Um, but it is very important
0: absolutely so in Bring it back down or bringing it right back down to obviously what this podcast is designed at which is the channel audience mm-hmm. so um what sort of conversations you're having with the channel at the moment how mature are their conversations with their end customers
4: um yeah it's interesting so the feedback we get obviously is revolving around gdpr yep. for them and and how our channel are prepared to um promote GDPR related solutions and what what the criteria is because essentially still a lot lot of people don't know really what GDPR Mm. so that's um, an area where all of the channel including all of the the vendors as well we need to get on board and understand what GDPR is going to be because it's a conversation we're having with end users when they come through directly to us Mm -hmm. and it's a conversation we have with channel quite often about what Kaspersky covers as part of GDPR what other solutions cover and can you be completely recovered from GDPR probably not um, so then you have to start looking at what's the key areas, what yeah. you're most likely to get fined for if you have a, a, a data breach um, and haven't secured certain areas. So it's that's a key that's a key area for the channel to focus on. Really would be GDPR. I think a, anyone who can come up with a very good GDPR plan for their for their users when they're having conversations is going to win a lot of lot of business. Mm-hmm.
0: I think. Okay, that's really good. And then you know. I suppose one of the other big trends that we see is everyone moving away from... Well, i say everyone moving away. People dabbling and trying to move away from physical-based security platforms to software-defined security platforms and software-defined networking infrastructures and control planes. What does Conspiracy have in that, in that space to sort of really um, bring that piece alive?
4: So, um, Conspiracy have got two, two major products... Mm. And that builds one solution. So we've got um, Kaspersky Security for Storage, Mm -hmm. which is virtual physical storage solutions, um, protecting NAS and um, SAN-related storages for all the the major storage vendors. Um, We're probably most closely partnered with NetApp um, to the point where NetApp actively promote Kaspersky as a solution, and they've created documentation on how to install our products, integrate our products with their storage solutions. So I guess we work quite closely with them. But, so, um,
0: I, I, so you actually head up the, the NetApp technical team. Cheers, mate. That bus just got thrown
2: under there, didn't it? Yeah. Had you heard of that that partnership? <laughs> um, so what we are starting to see with with NetApp is it, is there's there's a drive towards creation of this ecosystem of, mm-hmm. of, of, of other vendors to help, I suppose, take. Better advantage of this this whole concept of of, of the data fabric. I'm not specifically come across, Kaspersky being a part of that, but it's really interesting to hear. And, and actually, when you look at the maturity of of yeah, products like like OnTap, when you look at how NetApp are taking their product set forward with with cloud sync and their their whole hybrid cloud proposition. Security's got to be a part of that. It's got to be, a really, got to be really, really, It's got to be security part.
0: first, really. Yeah,
2: exactly. So yeah, That's it fantastic. kind of gla- gladdens my heart to hear that. Yeah. and uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be doing some uh, some homework tonight. Get to yeah. the bottom of that one. But yeah,
4: no. yeah, it's um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting um, move forward for Caspersky yeah. on the level of interaction with uh, probably the industry leading storage solution in NetHub really. Um, but yeah, as you said, I think I think the theory behind security has changed. It used to be. Uh, have everything open and start locking stuff down. Yeah. Now the, the process needs to be and should be lock everything down and start opening the whitelist. Yeah, basically yeah. what you need. Mm. Um, because you'll miss something, you're very around and that becomes a hole.
0: Uh, exactly, and actually, for the inconvenience of the of the, the actual users of the network having to say, I need this open, I need this open, you can guarantee you can well, I say guarantee you can as near as you can possibly ever get there guarantee a certain level of yeah. protection in your network.
4: Yeah, and um, you need you need a lot more knowledge and experience of attack mechanisms and attack vectors when you're locking stuff down from an open platform mm. because if you miss something that the attackers will, might utilise, yeah. that's it. It's a lot easier to have everything locked down by default it's that open stuff that you need specifically. Yeah, and, and if you get something through there then obviously you're hoping that your, your anti-malware solution is going to be able to, be, to protect you against that. Yeah. Um, or at least can maybe, maybe mitigate against the, the the attackable area of the machine, yeah. um, or the network. But if you have an open network and you start closing stuff down, and you get something in from an area where you just forgot or didn't know that was a, a possibility, yeah, um, it's a lot harder. Yeah. But sec- security now needs to get beyond so security awareness training.
0: Um, yeah, absolutely. Training your staff
4: yeah. is paramount. I think it's going to be paramount for GDPR as well to prove that you yeah. you train your staff. Mm. Um, and it's the key, 80% of all security-related incidents are user error, all, La- the, ma- all the major attack vectors. L- layer 8,
3: as
2: they like to call <laughs> it. <laughs> and I don't think this is, this is an important. thing. Every, everybody, yeah, well, I say everybody, you said earlier there's still a heck of a lot of education, I think, needs to be done around GDPR, mm-hmm. and I completely agree with you on that one. Yeah. I, I think everybody sort of looks at the headlines around, you know, the, the fines, the date that GDPR comes into effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 25th of May 2018, for those who haven't got it tattooed on, <coughs> on their the foreheads, foreheads yeah. just yet. Um, but it doesn't just start and stop on that day. It's not just a, you know, a one time thing. It's moving forward. It, it's how you, once GDPR is in place, how do you use that framework to create your best practices around security, around mm-hmm. Data management, your mm-hmm. data governance, about how you interact with with your customers and your clients, and, and how you, how you gain the trust yeah. of those customers, clients, and your own internal staff to say, you know what, yeah. actually, we've got everything in place. And I like the po- point. I've never heard anybody talk about that education
4: mm-hmm.
2: of you know of your staff and your, you know, the people <coughs> in your ecosystem from a point of view of all right, actually understand and, and get the grips. Gotta get grips. to grips. <laughs> easy for you to say. Yeah. Uh, some of the things that you can do to help mm-hmm. the staff on the ground that are, you know, that are fighting the fight. Really. Yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah it's it's going to be. It's obviously it's key. It's got to be in everyone's focus now. Yeah. Um, most of the customers, potential customers that we speak to, haven't, although they're thinking about it, haven't really taken any steps towards GDPR. And a year in, in IT is very, very, oh. very, very simple oh God, yeah. period. Yeah. God, so yeah. you could be scoping out. POCing a product, a number of products before you choose one for, for 18 months. Yeah. Um, and there's so many different areas to cover, and security is a massive point. Of that it's um, mm. it's not just about security in the office. It's about what you allow your users to do when they leave the office. Should you allow your users to work on the train? Because who's looking over their shoulder?
0: That's a very good point. It's, yeah.
4: Kinda, you know, we encourage that, especially because obviously our office is in in the centre of London in Paddington. Yeah. yeah. So we encourage our employees that that period of time, that hour of commute to work, but should you really? Well, I guess it depends on what your industry and mm. what, what, what data you have there.
2: Do you know, that's a whole different take on endpoint security I've not even thought about. Never mind securing the device, so, uh, yeah, God
4: forbid if it gets lost
2: on yeah. the seat of a bus or, mm-hmm. or a train. But actually when you're working.
0: there's little screen I'm, I'm, things. I'm
2: getting really, well, it's not just those little screen things, is it? But <laughs> I'm getting more and more paranoid.
0: Yeah. And on that, on that terrifying note, um, yeah. look... No, Lee. It's been a real pleasure to have you no on. Problem. Thank you we very, very much. M- yeah, this Go is again. the problem. We yeah. could talk for hours on this. Yeah, yeah, I think so. No, really appreciate it. Thank you for sort of completely changing our uh, sort of vision and perspective of Kaspersky and And uh, yeah, really hope you have a good in Yeah, thank, really. you, very much thank much. you very much. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thanks. thanks Bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. to be joined by David M. from Kaspersky. So David, would you like to introduce yourself, please?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I work as a security researcher in the global research and analysis team at Kaspersky Lab.
0: Fantastic. So first off because obviously our, our listeners may not know exactly what that is. So could you just give us a bit of a, des- a description as to exactly what that entails?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, we, we analyse about a million objects every day. Wow. And we have a virus lab specifically focused on doing that. Wow. And about 99% of those are detected automatically. So we use machine learning a lot yeah. to actually tackle that. But. The, the job of the global research and analysis team is really to do the, the like deep dive into the more complex threats. Right. Um, so, in a sense, if um, if the guys in the virus lab are uh, are kind of collecting shells on the seashore, mm-hmm. our job is really to uh, be the paleontologists and to pull the stuff together and see the relationships mm-hmm. between these yeah. fossils and the bones, so that at a certain time, you know, we can start to see that there are relationships between these malicious modules and we can say, well, look, this is a full-on targeted attack campaign. Mm. Fantastic.
0: Fantastic. So obviously um, we had the discussion yesterday with your colleagues um, around Kaspersky. In fact, two of your colleagues actually around Kaspersky.
2: Yeah, we've covered covered fraud prevention.
0: Yeah, and and the general Kaspersky portfolio. We have indeed. Um, So, first and foremost, you know, what exactly um, you know, you say objects Define what an object actually is. Hmm. Well, it could be a virus,
3: it could be a worm, it could be a Trojan Trojan horse program, yep. it could be a piece of exploit code, um, it could be a piece of adware, it could be a piece of spyware. It, any type of malicious object, that's what we're talking about. It could be tools that cyber criminals use to hide their code, like rootkits. Right. Um, it could be packers that they use to try and pack them and make them harder to detect any sort of malicious object or ancillary tool that cyber criminals would use Ah. so so i suppose that's the
2: sorry i said different i suppose that's the that's the important thing it's not just it's not just the the virus the malware itself it's as you say it's the tools it's it's everything in the kit bag that somebody would use to create one of those things anything that can help you i suppose identify root source or head off
3: Anything which, through. if we found it on your computer, yeah, would we would flag that up and say this is bad code and we're going to yeah. remove it for you.
0: Perfect. Perfect. So I mean, coming back onto uh, onto this piece, you know, uh, how I mean, I suppose I suppose one of, one of my questions, and I suppose one of the questions I think a lot of our our listeners. Um, would want to know is is how do you actually find these things? You know, is it you, do you get it reported? Are you are you looking at streams of traffic? Is it are, are you on the dark web, sort of of going and trying to acquire these tools so that you can? I mean, how are you actually how are you actually getting these things?
3: Uh, we get we get malware from all sorts of sources. I mean, one of the uh, the ways we we have a cloud infrastructure called the Kaspersky Security Network. Mm. Every endpoint protected by a Kaspersky Lab product. Um, that person who installed it gets the opportunity to opt into the KSN, the Kaspersky Security Mm -hmm. Network. Now, what happens if they do is, every time they launch a piece of code, every time they download a piece of code, we take the housekeeping information, the metadata from that file, we, we send these few bytes up to the cloud system, and we analyze its overall reputation. So, have we seen it before? Where did we see it? How many people? Where's it come from? What right. do we know about it? And so we can come back in real time and say, yeah, that's known good, or that's known bad. Or we can say, look, we don't know enough, restricted for the moment, then we can come back where we do know about it. So that's one of the ways in which we find, so we've got this kind of, um, I suppose you called neighborhood watch. Yeah. So every endpoint is a listener for us out there in the field. But in addition, you know, our customers obviously will send us suspicious code. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean what people may not know is actually that at a research level, there's a lot of cooperation between researchers in different companies. So we will routinely share collections of samples. So there's no attempt to kind of hold on to stuff. It's it's in everybody's interest that you know it's out there and how we deal with it, that's proprietary, mm-hmm. but actually the raw material that we're looking at, that, that gets distributed pretty widely among researchers. I think that's one of the
2: things that, that we've learned while recording this series, and, and, and certainly I'll be the first to hold my hand up and say I'm, I'm no security expert. But what I have learned and what's what struck me with all the vendors that we've sat down with in this series is, you know, you talk about that corporation, um, and that's that's... It's absolutely fascinating to see that, because mm. yeah collaboration and we talk about it being an arms race, we talk about it being you know just just running flat out to stay still and one organization, yeah you know, no, no matter how big and how well resourced Kaspersky is, you know, to be able to augment that with yeah in essence your competition as yeah. well as collaborators that's that's absolutely fascinating to know that there's that intelligence
3: sharing happening? I mean, there always has been, going right back to the early days of viruses, actually. Um, So, you know, collaboration in a formal sense of going to the same security conferences and sharing ideas, um, informal relationships between researchers, sharing collections, sending people heads-ups, sometimes even doing joint blogs or joint research on on topics as well. So, as I say... The, the, the issue of how do we protect our customers from that that's proprietary because it's our technology yep, and each company does it differently but actually uh, you know I suspect the same is probably true in the area of biological viruses you know there's Smith, Klein, Beecham, and Merck and other pharmaceutical companies but the yeah. scientists there don't hold yeah, on yeah. to H1N1 or whatever it yeah, is yeah. but what they do in terms of dealing with it that's proprietary yeah,
0: yeah. so you know talking about attacks that have occurred recently you know Obviously, um, WannaCry being you know one of the biggest uh, attacks we had in, in recent months. Um, what can enterprises learn from that attack? What can you know? How can they better prepare themselves for the future? Well, WannaCry
3: was very different from previous ransomware just because of the volume of infected computers. Yeah. So we know that ransomware has been very, very successful. Um, we've seen it grow exponentially in the last two, three, or four years. Um, this is the furthest a single variant of, of a piece of ransomware has spread. And it's reminiscent of the, the epidemics we used to get at the beginning of the century, actually. Yeah. Um, and what's happened since then is that criminals have tended to become as stealthy as possible, but also to work in very low-key, sort of smaller hit-and-run operations. So it was unusual in that sense. Um, It's not the first time that we've seen a piece of malware spread on the back of um, an exploit. In other words, a piece of code used to take advantage of the fact that a machine wasn't patched. A security update hadn't been applied. Um, uh, And you know, there have been some notable cases in the past, Sasa, for example, back in 2004 was another notable one. I think there there are, obviously, from from attacks like this anyway, things that people can learn. The first is that it's really, really important to make sure you apply security updates. Because if you don't, that's a little bit like having, you know, a medieval castle where the attackers know that there's a secret door and they press the button and it will open up and their army can pour through the door. And it's the same thing, you know, if, if you didn't patch and they have a piece of exploit code Then it can get into your organization if you didn't apply that update. I think the other thing with it being ransomware in particular is the importance of backing up. That if you don't back up your data on a regular basis, then you are the victim of any ransomware attacker because they can say, Well, look, give us the money, or your data's gone. If you have a backup, then I'm not saying you've got no problem because you still have the cleanup to do, you still have to restore infected computers, restore the backup, but you're not in a data loss situation which will be much worse financially. Mm. Mm.
0: Absolutely that, really, absolutely good point. And I mean I think I think the, the takeaway that we've had consistently is it, 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 well it leveraged an exploit that was obviously a bit naughty from the NSA. But at the same time, you know, proper backup, proper strategies, and I don't think best practice. It is best practice, right? It just it needs to be I think that's one of the single biggest issues that we have today is is that we all talk a good game about best practice, we all talk a good game about, about doing these things. But you know, I think I think we think about it at the core of our infrastructure, mm-hmm. but we forget how important The edges, and you know, if you look specifically at why it it was so prolific in the NHS, good god, I mean, the number of endpoints the NHS has you know, every single room in every single hospital, you've got a PC in there, you know, that that they're using to to get in it's just can proliferate through those so easily. And you forget that, hold on, even though it hasn't actually affected like the core server infrastructure, if it's affected people's way of actually. Communicate or getting to the core yes. infrastructure—it's as devastating um, as it was. Uh, I think. I think what I cry also
3: pointed up, actually, you mentioned the NHS, and it, it, it's a good illustration of the fact that process is critical. You know, so throughout the NHS, they use technology to defend themselves against attacks like this. Yeah. So some NHS trusts were affected, others were unaffected. Oh, this, and it yeah. comes yeah. down to the process, you know, your yes. your routine for patching and, and this
0: uh, your network management. You've hit on something which isn't necessarily like appropriate, well not appropriate, but isn't necessarily part of this conversation. bit of a tangent, but this is one of the things that literally boils my blood about our government is the fact that and not necessarily our government, as in the Conservatives or Labour, or whoever. But the way we do things. So it's purely you know, the, the reason, as you say, that one NHS trust worked and the other one didn't, was because one NHS one NHS trust happens to have a really, really good guy who gets it and is diligent and, and applies process, and the other one doesn't. But then they might have issues elsewhere. And it, it's like, why on earth do we have a single national health service? And it's the same for schools. It's the same for, for local and regional government. You know, why do we have these pockets of expertise? Why are we not looking to share, very much like the IT industry does or specifically the security industry does around threat in, uh, threat intelligence, why are we not combining skills and combining our abilities to yeah. be able to say, do you know what? We've got a really good security guy here because at the end of the day, we're all trying to save lives and, and make people happier or make people better or, you know, educate people better. It's just, oh, it just... Sorry, rant over. I'm just, as, as, if you've listened to the podcast before, you'll know that I've got my little soapbox that sits next to me when I, when I get on this thing, and sometimes I just have to get on it, get my rant out of my system and move on. We've
2: given him his chamomile tea and sat him down Yeah, hatted his knee now. I'm <laughs> Bearing in mind what David's, David's just spent the, la- the last couple of minutes ago going, going on. <laughs> um, David, can I, can I ask you, I... Yeah, you you referenced you made a note that you know over the last over the last few years we've seen that trend in the increase in ransomware what other trends do you think enterprises should be looking for yeah. when yeah you know, when it comes to having just you know the threats the risks on the radar you know what should they be planning for
3: well i think you know we we see i mean it's take companies, take enterprises. I mean, there are companies of massively different scales. You know, yeah. We've got huge multinationals, right down to people with 10, 12, 20, 50 people. Um, I think, though, what has to lie at the core of that is, is strategy. And one of the dangers, I think, is that you know people look at big enterprises and think, well, they've got experts. They've got lots of expertise. Yeah. And they've got funds for this. Uh, they've got the know-how. But actually, if you're a a 10-person company, although the operation itself may not be as involved, the process is the same, which is you sit down and you say, what do we have? Why is it valuable to us or our customers or partners? Um, What intellectual property do we have? How might somebody else try to get it? And from that, start to build a picture of, well, if that's how somebody would then what do we need to do in terms of dealing with that? And it's not all about throwing technology at it, but it it is about process, and technology, obviously, is part of that. Um, And I think that... um, Sometimes, you know, smaller companies are, they lack the awareness of, of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they get a bit sort of bewildered by the scale of it. But actually, even if it's, you know, the back of a cigarette packet is your starting point. Yeah. It's that process of saying, you know, here's, here's our, our basis for a risk assessment. And from there, we start to build it out. Um, so, you know, I think that strategy aspect of that is really, really key. Um, I think also, and this is true for large organizations as well as small, we're not terribly good at patching our human resources. I mean, Mm. we're not great at patching (laughs) our our digital resources, but uh, I think often companies will develop a policy. uh, It's very detailed. It's very well thought out. They get their staff to sign off on it, but then not much more happens. And we need to get a lot more imaginative. I, I, I think it's a cultural thing. You know, when we teach our children across the road, we don't teach them about the safety outside our house. What we want is them to understand road traffic and safety wherever they go, whatever yeah. road they're crossing. Um, and I think it's really true. You know, we want our, our staff and our citizens, actually, coming back to the issue of the role of government, yeah. to understand that actually whether it's... your know, Security involves not letting people through your front door if they haven't got ID, but it also goes right through to... You know, not clicking on emails, not clicking on attachments, not letting somebody slipstream you through the corporate doorway. And it's that whole mindset of, well, actually, maybe I don't need to know this or that phishing trick, but what I do need is that caution that says, this didn't look like it come from somebody I know. I'm not going to touch it. Hmm. I think it's easy for us in the industry
2: and certainly in in the line of work we're in there. You take it for granted. I, I, I like to think I could... I'd be suspicious enough because regardless of what security we put in place, we all, we all still see fishing males try to get through us and, and that comes down to, I think it's where, where you're going with it David. is that there's an element of social engineering behind some of this m- malevolence work and you know, threat and attack to, yeah. to us in whether it be in work or at home and I really agree. And again, it's been really heartening in this series to see the number of vendors sit down and talk about, you know what, it's not just about throwing technology. It's not just about throwing cash at a problem. It's about that education piece as well. Because an educated staff, you know, whether they're applying it at home or at work, every, we all benefit from it. Um, And one question I've got for you when you're talking about that strategy as well, and just to come back to smaller companies, is do you also think that lack of education extends to the fact that they'll look at something like security and and a robust security policy and and think, you know what, I ain't going to be able to afford that,
3: so what's the
2: point of of building anything out? Uh,
3: Sometimes I think they do. Um, and sometimes they just don't know what questions to ask. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I think you're right. And I think it's, it's getting across, I think, the message from the industry that, actually, it doesn't always have to be about expense. Yeah. I mean, it costs you nothing just to stop assigning admin rights to every laptop that you give out, for example, oh. or to segment the network, or yeah. you know, not giving everyone right access. Apart from the plan, it, it doesn't cost you anything to, to actually I- implement that. Mm. Um, so it's realizing, I think, you know, what you can do just by actually thinking about the problem and and, and putting a plan, in a process in place. Um, I think partly also, um, you know, we know that there's a degree of inertia in every area of society. And yeah. I think there's a degree to which companies still look at perimeter defense. So it's how do we keep something out? Um, and, you know, you look at, Mobile working, people working in hotels, at home, in the office. Look at us here today. the whole yeah. thing's fluid, yeah. um, and it's realising that actually, um, if there is a perimeter, it's not the whole story. And actually, that the, the realisation that if somebody is going to get in, is determined that to get in, they probably will. Yeah. Um, it's what you do beyond that. So, I mean, an example. I don't, I don't put my head in my hands when I hear about a security breach of a corporation if that then leads to the theft of unhashed, unsalted passwords, then I put my head in my hands and I think, what were they doing? So it's about that sort of in-depth approach and saying, well, we've got to assume somebody's going to get in, but what we need to do is to make sure that they don't then get out with stuff that's really valuable.
0: Fantastic. I like that approach. Yeah. And look, sadly, on that bombshell, we are actually going to have to end. Look, David, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, It's lovely to get that, that view... From, a, yeah, from the research of you yeah. to, to look at the, the wider point, the wider conversation. That's been really fascinating. So My thank pleasure. you ever so much for your time. Yeah, thank we you. We really and, do appreciate uh, yeah. it. Thank you. We hope you enjoy the rest of your show. Thanks a lot. Thank man. you. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Thanks for you Bye now. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I did. Don't forget, this is part of a the series. There will be one next week. Um, if you want to join the conversation, please, please do so at hashtag Arrow bandwidth on Twitter and don't forget to check out the show notes where there's loads of really important resources and, uh, and generally sort of part of the conversation you find that at the uh, Arrow Hub, you will indeed you will indeed, and guys look if you've enjoyed this, please subscribe we cover loads of topics, we've got tons of back catalogue it's we a great opportunity it. to learn and get educated, so please do listen and uh, yeah, come back next week Come back, subscribe, catch up. Thank you very much. Have a good week. Bye.